When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you on this uh, Friday. Hope the weather's good to, around the country where you are. The show is brought to you by Brent, um, your John Deere equipment supplier, experts in agriculture. So uh, for the next three hours, uh, Brian Rarity, who's uh, doing the technical side of it, Lou Herman Watt down there in Christchurch, and myself uh, will try and uh, entertain you and inform you with um, array of, uh, an array of guests and sports this morning. We're going to do rugby with Lee Stensness. We shall be doing golf with Amelia Garvey. We will be doing horse racing with Mike Maroney. We'll have a panel covering all sorts of uh, issues as well. And uh, Blake Ashford, uh, of course, uh, with us. He's uh, doing the commentary tonight uh, with Sam Hewitt uh, here on SENZ. That commentary on that game, of course, it's the Warriors and the Dogs, and the Warriors need to stop the bleeding a wee bit, I think it's fair to say. Quarter to 12, we'll catch up with uh, the man that is uh, Michael Guerin to find out what's on SENZ over the weekend in terms of racing. We might get a tip or two as well out of the man that knows pretty much everything that needs to be known about the game. It's uh, time to get on with the show. Let's uh, start with a sermon, shall we? Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, boy, have the organisers of the Madrid Tennis Open copped some flack basically uh, all over supposed sexism and it will have all tournament organisers on their very best behaviour from here on in. Seems you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So what's in a cake, a birthday cake? Well, uh, you're damned if you give a local lad, a hero to the nation, a three-tiered birthday cake, but you only give a single-tiered version to a visiting women's player. Honestly, that's sexism, really? Astounding and misogyny on Twitter? Carlos Alcaraz turns 20. I mean, he's the darling of the nation, the number two tennis player in the world, And are you surprised that he gets more attention, more favours in Madrid than Victoria as a renker? People are absolutely surprised and accusatory. The organisers were already under the gun for replacing ball boys and girls with models of both sex. Hell, it's not about whether they gather the tennis balls and get them back to the players in an efficient manner. It's all about what they're wearing. And in the end, they were forced to go more conservative after comments from the Secretary of State a celebrated political feminist. And then to top it off, to put the icing on top of whoever's cake, the organisers are smashed for not letting the finalists in the women's double speak at the trophy presentation. They will have had their reasons, maybe time constraints, but unfortunately they weren't prepared to comment, so in so doing, they dug themselves an even deeper hole. Now, it just goes to show whatever you're organising, whatever show you're putting on these days, you'd better double cross your T's and double dot your eyes because the world is watching more so it seems the peripheral than the actual certainly does put a new spin on an equal piece of the pie or in this case an equal piece of the cake 
And what about the theory that it's the thought that counts? Incidentally, Azarenka did get 13 more candles than Alcaraz. It's probably because she's 13 years older. But can I even say that? Okay, uh, all eyes are turning to tomorrow night. The Blues will travel to what will be a very cold and confronting Christchurch to take on the defending champion Crusaders. It will be cold because of the temperature, but uh, also uh, confronting the Blues, uh, the fact that they've mustered uh, won one of the last 17 attempts against the red and black machine. Stats don't lie. It's a bit different from uh, back in the day when the Blues were a dominant force to be reckoned with and the Crusaders had to earn their stripes again against the then champions. Our next guest knows that era very well. Tomorrow's game brings storylines galore with seedings on the ladder at play, interesting matchups across the park, including at second 5-8, where Harry Plummer has been selected ahead of Roger Tuovasashek, who misses the 23 altogether. Lee Stensness joins us uh, this morning. He's a former All Black, of course, 50 games for the Blues, uh, a lot of games for Auckland and Manawatu as well. All Black number 932, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Lee, good morning to you. Uh, kia ora, Ian. Thank you for having me on. It is a big match-up tomorrow. Traditionally, uh, Blues-Crusaders clashes back in uh, your day as well were eagerly awaited. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we used to enjoy playing away probably more than um, at home because of the, the, the love that Canterbury has for Auckland down there. You can really feel the dislike as soon as you step off the plane and uh, the hostility of the crowd was always... Quite, quite exciting and quite um, motivating. Um, I don't think there's real sort of hatred from the players or anything, but you certainly felt it from the public down there, and um, that was always quite a, quite a, a uh, raised the excitement levels. That's for sure. Lee, to this point, what have you made the of the Blues class of 2023? Uh, not quite uh, on um, at their best yet. No, that's right. Um, but with the format of, of of the playoffs, etc., you probably don't have to be your best until the last three games. So hopefully they're they're building um, towards that. They haven't been very consistent, which is which might be is the in the back of the mind going into this game. I think that's probably the the real weakness of the blue side. They've got you know talent sprinkled enough talent to match the Crusaders, but have they been putting it together enough to to put together a performance tomorrow night that will be good enough to win, I'm not sure. So Bowden we'll Barrett see. Back, um, but, yeah. yeah Bowden Barrett back to 10. Bowden Barrett back to 10 against uh, Richie Mwanga. Um, eagerly awaited matchup. Um, Bowden's sort of been... He was back at 15 the other day, back to 10. What, how do you look like that, and what do you think about this matchup? Well, deep within my heart, I believe they play Barrett and Zahn Sullivan the wrong way round. I think Zahn Sullivan should be the number 10 and Bowden Barrett should be at 15, but that's the horse has bolted for that. I mean, they, that's maybe something for the future. Sullivan, I think, will, will, will become a great 10. He's got all the skills. He played great rugby at school at 10. Um, but if we deal with the now, Barrett, he sees himself as a 15 and that you know, a player of that mana carries carries a lot of sway. He wants to play at 10, so that's where he is. Um, has, he probably hasn't been as consistent as he would like, so the pressure's on him. Um, 
I think um, Mackenzie's probably overtaken him in, in the hierarchy of 10s, um, with Moanga still at number one. Um, so I suspect tomorrow night, Moanga loves playing against Auckland. He always delivers pretty much when he plays against uh, the Blues. And I probably expect that again tomorrow night. I think that he might probably shade Barrett, unfortunately, from our point of view. Um, but th- that's probably where I see it at the moment. Okay, interestingly, um, also uh, uh, an area where you occupied a, a lot of your rugby career is, is uh, the midfield area where they've got Harry Plummer at 12 and uh, can't find a spot at all for Roger Tuovasashek in the 23, which has raised a few eyebrows. Um, yes, uh, but if you, if you look at Roger's form, it, it, it hasn't been particularly good. I think it was the game before last, he missed a, a, a couple of tackles which he should have made, and he, he really, it's probably, a, it's, it's the deserved selection in terms of, of form. Um, Roger, he's, he struggled with his transition. We probably all have to acknowledge that. COVID didn't really do him any favours, so he lost, he lost a lot of time beating in and relearning the game from when he played at school. So he's, he's probably been behind the eight ball pretty much the whole way, and, and maybe the the experiment is over, perhaps. Do you um, like uh, Rico? A solid do, you, do you like sorry. Rico at 13? Do you like Rico at 13? I do for the Blues. Um, I just wonder at test level, he, he, he's, I, I would possibly prefer Anton Leonard-Brown in a, in a big test match because of his, his, his real nous, especially on defence and the way that he can put a, put wingers away probably shades Rico in, in those two areas, but Rico is a wonderful athlete um, and he's more consistent in terms of being able to be on the field all the time. We see with Anton Leonard-Brown, he's, he seems to be injured pretty much most of the time and it's a struggle for him to get a real, a real body of work under you know consistent form and so Rico... Rico delivers pretty much consistently, especially at super rugby level, and he's always on the field, and he has wonderful assets in terms of his physicality and his his pace. Um, it's just some of those subtleties he's still um, getting coming to terms with, but it took players like Umanga, you know, quite a long time to, to really learn the centre position with all its nuance and subtlety. Um, so, yes, Rico, yes, definitely for the Blues, uh, at, for the All Blacks, well, he's the best option if if, if Anton Leonard Brown can't string enough games together to, to to prove that he could, you know, last the World Cup. Right. Okay. Let's look at halfback as well because Finlay Christie is in an interesting situation. Um, confirmed to the Blues clearly, not so confirmed in the All Blacks. Which all of a sudden, there's a lot of drums beating for this Cam Royguard out of the Hurricanes. Yes, um, oh, we went. We, look, we went to Aaron Smith, the number one halfback, and he is extremely similar to Weber and both and um, Finlay Christie as well. And so I think we all look at um, what Dupont does for France, how he runs and snipes around the edges, and we think, oh, that would be nice for us to have as well. And Roigard, he offers that. He's physical. Uh, his pass is is pretty good. I mean, it's uh, it's not exceptional, but. Um, he can run around the fringes, and if the All Blacks want to play a game where we rely on power, which which was when we when we played France two years ago, we really when we dominated them for a period of the second half, in particular, we were playing direct 
and going around the edges and using power runners. And that's where Roygaard could possibly offer that more than perhaps the the other two. Or you know, I mean, Fakatava could offer that as well, but I think his form has has slipped a bit. So perhaps Roygaard offers offers that if he's going to be the three halfbacks going, then. Aaron Smith and another who's similar to Aaron Smith and then Roygaard offers you that point of difference where who can have that power and sniping around the, the edges of rucks and malls. Uh, interesting now, uh, just looking forward to um, to next year, we, we look at the fact that uh, Leicester Whanganuku is heading to Toulon and apparently the Blues are really going hard after Jack Goodhue and it would be nice to see Jack Goodhue with a run of, uh, of rugby in a position where he's not injured and just expressing his talent because he's still got to certainly got to be a contender oh yes yes um it would i mean if he came to the blues next year i would see him as a 12 and i perhaps and this may it goes fly against some convention is that i i see him as a 12 i always have rather than a 13. he does have the subtleties and the nuance that you need it 13, but especially after these injuries that he's had, he's really lost a bit of pace. And not that he was extreme pace even when he before his injuries, but but now he's he, he and I would worry about that at test level defending in those outside channels where you need to have a lot of a lot of gas, as Ernie Curtin would say, to be able to cover the speedsters. And so I, I would like to see him become a 12 going forward because he's a good decision maker. He's quite strong. Um, and a very good defender, um, but just perhaps lacking that top pace that I think a centre should have. And he, so that's, yeah, I would see him as a 12 going forward. Okay, so Lee, how much of um, an influence or how, how important is a kicking game for a good 12 these days? Um, I don't think it's essential. I think that it's more of a power position now. I think that you need to be able to get over the advantage line and I think you need to be able to defend really, really aggressively and if you can kick, that's a bonus. Um, I think that there's plenty of ways that the 10 and the 15 can sort of take the, the kicking. You can go behind the midfield back to your 15 who can, who can then kick the corners. So it's a nice to have, I think, um, kicking at 12, but especially at... at or if we, when we play France or South Africa, or yeah, we, we need a power player at twelve. Um, I mean, Nonu he was picked first for his power, and then he developed the kicking and and some of the subtleties. Uh, I don't think it's. I think that's the priority first at twelve. You need a a real a real big bopper, and that's what uh, Jordy Barrett can offer. He's a big boy, and um, and that's I think good good you could do that that in at twelve as well, and even someone like Amor, um, Levi Amor. Um, He's a good, strong player, and, and you know, he could be a, an option there to maybe fill in at 12 because he can play 13 as well. I think it's easier to go from 13 into 12 rather than 12 out to 13, but that's that's another discussion. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the kicking's are nice to have at 12, but you want a big, powerful, imposing player in there. So no Sam Whitelock and no Blackadder yet uh, for the Crusaders. Are you confident then that the Blues can get at least parity up front against a traditionally a very hard pack to knock down uh, in Christchurch to let that back line have a crack? With the absence of Whitelock, who's an all-time great player, I think that that evens it up 
yeah, considerably. I think that when I read the sides yesterday, seeing Whitelock gave the Blues, well, me, from the Blues' point of view, some hope uh, because he is such a great player and he loves the big games. Um, so, yes, there's a chance they can get parity, but then again, the Crusaders' back line is, is almost as, as stacked as the Blues. I mean, there's X-Factor in both sides, um, especially at the back. If the Blues can get enough ball to Talia and Clark, which is and get them involved, then then the you know the Blues could have a chance, and that, that's a challenge for Rico and a challenge for Bowden and the and the call of the shot callers to be able to get those two involved because Talia is just exceptional at the way he can beat the first tackle and the second tackle and sometimes the third tackle, and of course Clark when he's involved he can really have an impact on the game. But if they're not getting enough ball, I mean, what's the point of having um, Caleb Clark on the field if you're not going to give him the ball because he's he just, yeah, he needs to be used a lot. And so it's about the Blues creating ways to use those two players enough, and, and that will give them, and Rico himself, because he's such an X-Factor player as well. If they can get those three guys more involved and going hard and retaining the ball, then, they, then they've got a chance. But then on the same side, of the other side, of, I mean, the Crusaders have got Mwanga, Jordan, and Fainga, Nuku, and, you know, there's X-Factor there as well. So... They really are quite evenly balanced sides in terms of actual just individual talent, but I, I think the Crusaders have probably, you know, they got a little bit more belief in themselves. They're playing at home, and and they this is what they they live for. You know what I mean? They they want to they want to play these big games, and they'll and I think they'll get into their playoff mode. It's been a long time building for them. They haven't really been as consistent as they would like as well, but they are sort of trending up now, and this is. Probably the game that they've been looking at going, right, this is where we really, really start to to play at that championship level again. Lee, what has been uh, so special? Uh, because the people are raving about the the backline of the Chiefs and, and uh, particularly uh, the way they have been able to bring their uh, very potent back three into pretty much every game this year. They're unbeaten. What has been so special for the Chiefs from the games you've seen them play? Well, I think it's the, I don't know if this is the correct word, it's that maturation, the maturity that has come with um, Stevenson. He's really, he's gone from being like a, a Campisi type player who could do the exceptional but make, you know, make the odd mistake, which was to be sort of embarrassing, but not anymore. He doesn't make those mistakes. He, he's just, he's, he's got all the flair and the skills without the error rate anymore. And I think that that's a, a really big thing. McKenzie in there at 10, I think just adding that, that zip and the spark. Um, and, and yeah, and, and Narewa as well. Um, he's done some really exceptional things. So the step up from Stevenson, McKenzie coming back and, and really firing and, and Narewa coming, well, just playing exceptionally as well. So there's some individuals there who are really, really, really delivering um, on the on the back of, of a solid forward pack as well, a really solid forward pack. They've been getting enough ball, but some of the things that they have done are right, just individual brilliance and brilliance from those sort of players in particular. Combining, like you see a lot of Stevenson, I mean, McKenzie to Stevenson and vice versa, and, you know, th- those are two pretty dangerous players. 
Lee Stensness, uh, fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, wonderful to hear your thoughts on the midfield, actually. And uh, Zahn Sullivan at ten, I like the I like the, the thought of that going forward as well. Uh, really cool. Um, I've loved your input this morning. Have a terrific day. Enjoy tomorrow night. I think it's be a cracker. Yeah, I do too. And uh, we miss you on the TV, Smithy. Um, but uh, that's the way it goes. <laughs> That's the way it goes, Lee. Uh, hey, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your thoughts okay. and your sentiments there. Have a ter- terrific day. Uh, Lee Stensis there, uh, folks. So uh, that gives us uh, plenty of ammo, doesn't it, on the text line, double eight double three. What are your prospects for tomorrow night? It's the Blues against the Crusaders. What about the thoughts uh, of Lee Stensness and uh, the midfield combinations? He sees uh, Jack Goodhue as an out-and-out 12 as opposed to a 13. don't think we've seen him play in the 12 jersey very often. Um, so uh, we shall uh, look forward to those thoughts there. Uh, and um, we'll be back very shortly. Uh, we're going to speak to uh, Amelia Garvier after uh, 9.30. What an exciting young golfing talent uh, this young lady is. We'll be back soon. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of texts have come in. Uh, hi, Smithy. Uh, taking the family to see the Crusaders versus the Blues tomorrow. Really looking forward to it. Some great matchups in the feeling. If the intensity going up a, a level, great. Bring on the cold weather and the hot chips. Patrick from Ashburton, you and the family have a terrific night uh, tomorrow down there in Christchurch. But wrap up, as they say. Nice and warm. Uh, Kevin uh, comes in. Uh, Kev always uh, comes into the show, which is great. Uh, says, isn't it time to let Roger go? I think his uh, time is being wasted where he is. He's going to be a warrior again, and obviously not an all-black again, so let's just make the right decision for both parties. I hope the Warriors just go out and do the job tonight. They have a brilliant coach and are a very good side, so get the two points, walk off the field, and leave it at that. Right, uh, OK, uh, Louis Herman, what, uh, down there in a pretty chilly Christchurch, sporting a brand-new look, folks. Uh, no glasses for Louis anymore. What's the story? Smithy, uh, morning. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> If anybody finds a pair of glasses somewhere around a duck pond in central Otago, please let me know. They should be mine. Um, yeah, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm flying a little bit blind to, to tomorrow, which maybe the Crusaders line-out will be because Sam Whitelock has single-handedly decimated the Blues the last two times they've played them, including in that final where he just absolutely broke the brains of the Blues forward pack. So if anything makes me nervous, it's not the fact that I probably can't see when I'm driving, it's actually the fact that Sam Whitelock's <laughs> not, not, not in the second row for the Saders. Oh, look, I, I think that's a big factor. I mean, he is the Iron Man of New Zealand rugby, and he will be really hurting, really hurting, uh, not being able to run out with uh, these guys tomorrow night. There's no doubt about that. But that, uh, as Lee Stenson said, evens up the mix for me. Uh, give Sam, uh, young Sam Darry a chance, a Pat- Patty Torpoloto as well, um, up against uh, Scotty Barrett and Quinton Strange. I think that's a really, in terms of experience, a really cool matchup. It's a bit different, isn't it? Just from saying the Crusaders are usually going to dominate up front. Uh, it's going to be cold, Smithy. It'll be probably five, six degrees. It's wet here at the moment. I saw Razor yesterday say that we've got to get, we're going to have this um, roof over our head in a couple of years, so we better make the most of these weekends. So they'll be up for it. The Blues will hate it, but you'd suspect with White Lockout, they'll also be up for it. They'll sniff a little bit of blood. Massive game for both teams, just as far as staking their claim and hanging onto the back of the speedboat, as our old friend Baz would say, because the Chiefs are really. Well, they are head and shoulders above at the moment. 
Absolutely. Right. Okay. Look more from uh, Louis this morning, particularly when we talk to Mike Maroney after uh, 10 o'clock, of course, Mike Maroney, champion trainer and inductee into the New Zealand Racing Hall of Fame just uh, a few days ago, in fact, at a wonderfully lavish function, I'm led to believe. Uh, 9.31 here on SENZ. Uh, we shall be back uh, after the news to talk to uh, young Amelia Garvey. Kiwi Pro Golfer going places, including Pebble Beach, shortly for the US Women's Open. Great story. Well, good news this week for New Zealand's golf. Uh, is, uh, we're going to have uh, one of our bright young hopes uh, confirmed again to play in the Women's US Open at uh, Pebble Beach. Uh, that uh, tournament is July 5th through July 9th. Talking about Amelia Garvey. Uh, you might have heard uh, of Amelia before. In fact, she's been on our show as uh, she looks to make her way through the various levels of golf to join Lydia Ko on the PGA. Had uh, a very successful time at the University of Southern California and now is plying her trade on the Epson Tour. Uh, Amelia has been good enough to take another call from us. Uh, Amelia, good morning to you. How's it going over there? Hey, good, thanks, Ian. How are you? I'm um, really good. We've got uh, Louis Herman Watt in the uh, studio, the Christchurch studio with you, us as well. So we'll both be uh, firing questions at you. Uh, but the, the best news, of course, is that uh, you have qualified again to play in the US Open. How satisfying was that? Yeah, um, unreal. I don't know really if it's sunk in yet, but um, yeah, just an amazing opportunity coming up for me. and. Um, I've loved every single time that I've, I've played into the US Open um, in previous years, so I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you had to handle the pressure. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, 2,107 entries for the US Women's Open this year compared to 1,874 last year. Uh, you had to do it uh, in a very tough situation and tight. Tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so um, I... Flew in, had a pretty quick turnaround for my last uh, Epson event to getting to the qualifier, uh, basically halfway across the country. Um, so I had a late practice round on Monday afternoon and had my qualifier on Tuesday, which is obviously 36 holes. And there's usually around 50, 50 players in each qualifier. Um, and at our venue, there was two spots available for the Open. So um, I think I was sitting in fourth place after the first round um I knew i was just a couple shots back from getting that spot so i uh, managed to fire a, a pretty low round and i think it was a low round of the of the uh, field in the second round at one under um we were playing a pretty pretty brutal course probably the hilliest um, i'm gonna play all year so walking 36 around that track uh wasn't wasn't that fun and to make it even better I uh, ended up in a playoff so there was four girls tied at the top and um, so it was a four-way playoff for two spots and I uh, managed to birdie the first hole to secure my spot which was amazing. Amelia, Louis here joining you from your beloved uh, Canterbury region. Great to chat. Now, what sort of golfer are you compared to the, the first time you, you got a crack at the US Open? Because you were pretty young, so I imagine mentally and probably physically you're a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, my first US Open was about three years ago now. Uh, played it as an amateur and was actually exempt into that as an amateur. So 
I didn't have to qualify or go through uh, what I've been through this year. So it's a lot different, you know. I think um, the US Women's Open, it's the biggest field, uh, the biggest prize purse as well in women's golf. So as playing as a professional, there's obviously that side of things that it's going to be a little different. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really confident in my game this year. And as the previous years I've played, they have been very different. My first time was an amateur and then my second time was actually my first pro start ever. So uh, this year, you know, I'm going to go into it with a lot more experience under my belt um, and really looking forward to going out there and competing. Uh, Amelia, Pebble Beach. I mean, we know the layout, a lot of the uh, holes on Pebble Beach. We see it's a very coastal one on the Monterey Peninsula. Have you been to Pebble Beach? Have you played Pebble Beach? Uh, I've, I've been to Pebble Beach and I've uh, walked a few of the holes, but I've never actually had the chance to play it. I think uh, you have to be on a wait list for about six months to play the course. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably the best venue and one of the most historic venues for a US Open. So it just makes it that little bit better as well. Tell us a wee bit about the Epson Tour. Is that the, that's the uh, women's equivalent of, what, the Corn Ferry? Yes, yeah. So it's basically the, uh, they call it the road to the LPGA. Um, it's the only only pathway onto the LPGA aside from uh, Q School, which happens at the end of the year. Amelia, are you still bombing it? Like, obviously, that was a bit of a weapon when you were absolutely launching it uh, as an amateur. What about now against the pros? Are you just middle of the pack or are you still walking past everybody? Yeah, no, I've still got a few yards on a lot of the girls out here. Um, I think last year I finished up second in driving distance on my tour. So I actually uh, booked, booked my practice rounds last night for the US Open and... Obviously, I'm getting one in with Lydia, which is going to be amazing. And then um, I put myself next to Lexi Thompson to see how I will uh, stack up against her length because I know she's one of the longest on tours. So that's going to be fun. Wow. that's uh, When you start talking names like that, uh, you're talking a serious hierarchy there, uh, Amelia. Tell us about how you're developing your game. Tell us about your, your coaching setup and, and the people that um, are helping you out as you make your way through. Yeah, um, I mean, every tournament I go out and play, you know, I'm still learning about myself, learning about my game. And um, my game's actually felt really, really good this year. I just haven't been able to get into too much of a groove. And I actually, you know, I had spoke to my coaches before going into this qualifier saying that my game's feeling uh, too good to not be putting up some good scores. And then obviously went out and... uh, you know, had had a few good rounds at this qualifier. So that's, you know, I amped up the confidence a little bit more for my season ahead. Um, but, yeah, coaching-wise, I've got a lot of people on my team um, back home in New Zealand and then also uh, Aussie Ryan Lumsden and Grant Way over here, which uh, helped me out on the technical side of things. Um, and then my cousin who has been caddying for me full-time this year. Um, he He's done previous US Opens as well, uh, Jamie Tipper, so he's looking forward to being on the bag, and I think it's going to be a dream come true for him to be out at Pebble. 
I just wonder, um, in terms of uh, how you're going to get on the LPGA Tour proper, what do you have to achieve from the Epson Tour and Q School as such? Yeah, so how the Epson Tour works, it's a, a year-long tour. We play from basically February through to October, um, 24 events, and top 10 on the money list, money list end up getting uh, their full card onto the LPGA Tour for the following year. Um, and then top 35 on the money list get exempt uh, straight through to final stage of Q School. So uh, I I did manage to do that last year. I got into the top 35 and made it through to final stage of Q School, but just missed out um, on my card. Uh, so obviously another year on here. And I think it, it's a great tour. You know, you get to learn how to be a professional golfer and, I think the quality and standard of play is maybe a lot better than a lot of people would expect out here. Um, you just have a look at some of the graduates from the Epson Tour that are, you know, major winners now um, following their time on this tour. So it's a really good bre- breeding ground and a good place to, you know, build some confidence up and be able to win as a tour pro uh, before you get out, you know, under the in the big stage, I guess. Well, Amelia, I, uh, in a bit of re- doing a bit of very surface-level research about you, um, I noticed that on your tour profile, it says that if you weren't playing golf, you'd be a journalist. So I suspect you'd be a better g- journalist than I would be a professional golfer, and I think we both probably know that. But are you, are you walking around daily asking hard-hitting questions, or...? <laughs> um, not really. I just kind of wrote that because I was a comm major in college and I feel like I have to do something with that one day. Um, I would love, you know, the retirement plan is to maybe get onto Gold Channel and be walking the airways uh, once I've, I'm done with my playing. Um, but, yeah, it's not sure where that really came from. I think it was just a question that I didn't really know how to answer it. <laughs> uh, Amelia... Uh, I, I once read a, a book called A Good Walk Spoiled by uh, John Feinstein, which is uh, basically about how hard it is for people trying to make their way on the, the, the men's PGA Tour. I would imagine, um, you know, you're not living in uh, hotel suites, etc., getting waited on hand and foot with private jets, or etc. How tough is it uh, for you at this point? Yeah, funny you say that. We're currently... Uh actually driving 15 hours to Orlando, Florida for my next event. Um, So, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't see. Um, After, you know, 36 holes on Tuesday, I was on a flight at 5 a.m. to try and get to my next event in time. So it's tough out here, you know. It's uh, basically survival and you've got so many girls uh, with the same goal in mind and, Obviously, we're not getting paid as much as the LPGA Tour out here. So we've almost got people working two times as harder to to get out there and to get onto the big stage. So, yeah, it's tough, but it only makes you stronger. And I think everything um, that you go through, it it makes, you know, all the tough times, it makes the good times better. So um, I love it. You know, I get to play golf for a living and I get to play amazing golf courses. So... Uh, yeah, you put up with some other things in order to do that. Well, Amelia, uh, you sound very positive, which is great. Well, it's a heck of a task you've set yourself. But 
Uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, it's such a good thing to see you alongside Lydia Ko, uh, the New Zealand flag up there at Pebble Beach in a couple of months' time. We so look forward to uh, that experience for you. And uh, congratulations. Uh, I love your attitude um, on what you're trying to achieve now. Wish you all the best and thanks again for your time. It's been great chatting. No worries. Thank you, Ian. And cheers, Louis. Okay, uh, Amelia Garvey there, cross-country, 14 hours in the wagon in the car to get to uh, Florida to play the next event. That is life um, as a PGA pro trying to get through the grades and trying to make it to the big time. <clears throat> yeah, it's staggering. Uh, we'll be back shortly. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. We'll have a multi. I've got a story of a nine-year-old Brazilian golfer who's trying to qualify in the US Open as well. Nine-year-old Excuse me? Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you now. Bella, uh, Bella Simon, Simois, um, uh, S-I-M-O-S, while I was w- w- looking uh, for some stuff about Amelia and the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, Bella is uh, a Brazilian. She's nine years old. Uh, she's the, uh, she was the U.S. Kids Golf World Champion in 2020 for the under-seven category, Louis. Under-seven category. <laughs> uh, two, years, two years later, she became the world champion in the same event under-eights, Louis, as an eight-year-old. Uh, she shot 23 over in her uh, effort this year to try and qualify for the US Open. She tied 59th out of 67. She shot 23 over, so not in uh, Amelia's league in terms of a golfer. But are we talking this country about pressure on kids? And, uh, you know, we don't want our first 15 guys being on television anymore. Nine years old. My God, 9.46. You got to know when the whole Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Radio uh, got uh, beaten yesterday because the Chicago White Sox got pasted by the Kansas City Royals. Storm got up to beat the Broncos, though. Um, so we got a little bit of it right, but not enough to pay a divvy. Uh, the weekend's uh, one for me is a mixture of uh, rugby league and rugby. I'm going the Warriors. I am going the Wars tonight to beat the Bulldogs at a dollar eighty. The Panthers to beat the Roosters as well over the weekend at a dollar forty nine. The Brumbies, I believe, will be too strong for the Highlanders. Sadly, uh, that's in Canberra. That's a tough mission for the the men down south. Dollar uh, thirty three, and then the French top fourteen, brave to be cast, brave to be cast. At a dollar forty, so multi that up, um, and that goes the Warriors, the Panthers, the Brumbies, and Breve uh, into a five dollars. So uh, that's our weekend multi. Going to take that, uh, put ten on that, uh, might bring you fifty. Um, we got a text in from Chris to say, "Great interview with Amelia, guys. Thanks for all you do for golf. We can help help you out this morning as well." A fellow by the name of uh, Seeing You Know is leading uh, the latest Byron Nelson Classic, uh, and he shot sixty just by the by, eleven under. 11 under. Tournament favourite Scotty Scheffler is 4 under after 14 and of interest to players that we know pretty well over here, Adam Scott 8 under is one of the closest trailers but yes, uh, this young fellow from Korea, uh, Seung you'll know, shot 60 just a shot away from that magical 59, it's 9.53 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Oh, the second one promises to be uh, really busy as well because uh, Louis and I are going to catch up with uh, Mike Moroni, of course, uh, New Zealand champion trainer, now applying his trade in Australia. Actually, has done for the last 21 years, uh, or 20 years anyway, when uh, he set himself up at Moore Football and then in 2002 uh, went to Melbourne where he's now based. He's got uh, a base in Sydney as well. And of course, uh, trains in partnership with Pam Gerard at Matamata. So, uh, Mike Moroni, just after uh, 10 o'clock, uh, inductee into the Racing Hall of Fame. Uh, also going to be uh, talking to uh, the panellists this morning, uh, which includes Levina Goodnell. Levina, I think, has uh, been in Australia for a while uh, with uh, Tom Bartlett's with uh, uh, her on the panel this morning. So, we'll be talking about the Warriors, of course, Blues Crusaders, New Zealand cricket, need a new CEO. What kind of person is a good CEO these days? Uh, and um, we'll also uh, have uh, a chat with Louis more specifically about uh, racing coming up uh, today and tomorrow. They are racing uh, today at Matter Matter, actually. And Pitt Morris before abandoned. 11 o'clock, too. So, uh, it's abandoned, is it? Already? Too wet, Smithy. Oh, yeah, I, don't, I was waiting. I wonder why you hadn't brought that up with me yet. Yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. Okay. Rightio, I'm taking it easy on you because you can't see it. <laughs> in. in any of you guys shooting this weekend see a mallard flying over with a pair of dark rim glasses on? Take it out and get Louis's glasses back, will you? It's uh, 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's been a massive week for one of our most established and decorated Trans-Tasman racing products. That is Michael Moroni, was inducted into the Hall of uh, New Zealand Racing Hall of Fame on Sunday night at uh, a function in Hamilton. And then just a couple of days later, one of his most recent stable stars, a mayor who gave him two doses of success at the elite level up the Flemington Strait, was retired. Yes, Rockin' Horse has a date in the breeding barn with Poissier. For our friends, uh, little friends at uh, Little Avondale Stud, actually, our little friends at Little Avondale Stud. But Mike Moroni will be ready to uh, unearth his next top liner because he always seems to have one on the books. Thinking all the way back to Heavenly Body, second coming, excellent. Obviously, Brew that uh, snared the, the Melbourne Cup before uh, recently Tafane and Rockin' Horse have kept the, the group ones flying. It's been an incredible career, and it's far from done at this point. Mike has been good enough uh, to take our calls this morning. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Uh, first of all, congratulations on that induction into the Hall of Fame. Must have been one of your career highlights, I would imagine. Yeah, certainly, surely it was. It was great to be back uh, home and amongst a lot of friends and family. Uh, to celebrate something like that was, was, was terrific. Mike, Louis here, wonderful to have you on the program. Um, it was watching the tribute video and, and your interview, it was it was really quite special and it, and it did make me think about how much support you had as a, a youngster coming through the training ranks with the O'Sullivans. It must have kind of brought all the memories flooding back for, for you. Yeah, it did. I saw them with the family there and of course I've um, yeah, lost both uh, Mari and Lisa um, along the way and and then just to see the rest of them there um, was uh, brought back a lot of memories. You know, Mark was there as well, Mark O'Sullivan um, and Lance and his kids and et cetera. So it was, um, yeah, it was my family being there and then the O'Sullivan family, which were probably the two families that um, I spent most of my time around. Um, it was great to see them all there. And um, it was sort of special to share it with, with all of them. And uh, I, I you know, went from a pretty big um, family that are based in, in Matamata around that area. And uh, a lot of them were there. And... Um, I think we had three or four tables for the people, and 
Yeah, guys like Graham Richardson that have been in training partnership with me, Andrew Scott, um, he came along as well. Uh, Mike Coleman, who did most of our riding, um, was there as well, so uh, to share the whole thing. And then my race manager, Anthony, came across, and um, Emma, her, Emma Wood, who's my, now my vet and used to be my assistant trainer, she, she'd been with me for 15 years as well, so they came across and, um, and joined in the facilities, and so it was really uh, good to have everyone there. Oh, so many wonderful names, and it. it kind of uh, illuminates the camaraderie and how close everybody is. Do you do you get that same sense of camaraderie in the current ga- racing game, Mike? Was it different back then? Yeah. When... You know, look, you, you, you probably do. It's a little bit different because we um, we're racing it often over here now, and you get that many different faces because it takes to, to be able to race as often as what we do. It takes something like fifteen hundred trainers to be licensed here. Uh, a lot of lot of jockeys come in and out, um, so you don't probably have as much time to get as close to and, and mixes with, with everyone. But certainly uh, back in those days, we did um, a lot, and uh, we mix here a lot amongst our feminine trainers and 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 um, you know, there's a lot of them that I meet on my tra- meet on my travels in Australia and become close friends with too. But um, yeah, look, I think it's a pretty close to family, and as was proven when when Dean Holland's funeral was on here. Um, you know that they, they stopped racing. They um, had something like three thousand people here on course, uh, walked in the straight behind them, and that. So there's, there's a real camaraderie over, over here, and racing seems to, seems to do that. Mike, of course, uh, you've got uh, operations a couple in Australia. Of course, you, you still retain your interests back here at uh, your beloved Matter as well. I just wonder when you left the country back, uh, you know, as far back as uh, 2000 when you were in more football and then later, just after that to Melbourne, did you envisage this deal getting as big as it has? Um, well, we had a pretty big operation in New Zealand. I had to walk away from that. That was 99. Um, and I got 24 hours to make my mind up. I got offered the biggest stable here in Victoria, um, which I suppose I wasn't that, that uh, popular with the Australians when I when I got given the opportunity, and that was uh, Chiquita Lodge, and had 75 boxes, so it was a big, um, uh, so I had to make a quick quick end big decision, um, decided that I'd run with it, and from the time I ran with that, I had to shift over here full time, and uh, lucky enough that we, three weeks later, we won a thousand guineas with Shazoo, and filled the stable up, because I think I only had 45 here, and was going to have to pay rent on 75, to, so I filled it up, and um, after we did on that group one, Away we went, and then of course we won the Melbourne Cup the following year, and um, it got bigger from there. So uh, we've been lucky that we've had some really nice horses on and on the way through. And, and New Zealand stable have helped us do that without any doubt. Um, I would say half the group one winners I've trained over here have been New Zealand breeds or horses with, that have started off in our stable in New Zealand. So um, certainly really really helped over here. Just uh, remembering back to uh, the, the Melbourne Cup, and you went damn close again this year, it's fair to say. Uh, but the 2000 Cup uh, turn of the century with Brew, that was a heck of a story. Late entry into the field and um, and winning the race, I think, number 24 um, from memory. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about that, because even though it's that, that long ago, it must be still an easy memory to bring back. Yeah, well, look, I could, I could go on forever about it, but... Um I dreamt that I'd, I'd uh, trained him to win a Melbourne Cup about two years before I even got him. Um, and he'd only just started racing in, in New Zealand and across in Sydney. And I was across in Sydney with great command when he was racing and put on his real shenanigans um, 
there where he, he got away from uh, a handler in the, in the birdcage uh, without a ride along and held the start of the gloaming stakes up. I think mean, it was the last run that before they decided that he wanted gelding, which he badly wanted. Uh, I saw him over there. And um, from that time on, Graham uh, decided he wanted to sell him. So um, he was going to be sold to Singapore and it fell through. And I rang my brother Paul up and I said, look, uh, for, for, this is a weird reason. And I said, but I just wanted to buy this horse. I had an op- opportunity to do it, but we've got to move quickly. So um, he then rang Craig Lindbergh, who was in Richard Pegan's office in Sydney at the time, and they underwrote the horse in the way we went to get him vetted and, and then syndicated him. So um, that was the start of the whole thing. And the dream, he was number 24, uh, had the black cap on, and the only thing was that I said to my wife, Jane, at the time, that the only thing in the dream was that they were going right-handed instead of left-handed. So I ended up picking the number right, the, the colours he wore, um, the margin right, but just the other way around, um, and, and that's so um, quite, quite, uh, quite for, um, sort of freaky how it worked out. And then to be in the right place at the right time to buy them too. I happened to be back in New Zealand at the time, and Paul O'Sullivan told me that the sale to Singapore had fallen through, um, and so I asked him if we could have 24 hours to do it. And he said, "Yeah, that's fine." So, and then the rest was history. So, um, and then we had all sorts of trouble with the jockey. Um, Brett Pribble told us to, um, uh, to head off somewhere else. Um, wouldn't ride the horse. <laughs> he wanted to ride the horse half a kilo over. We said no. So he wished us the best of luck. And then he tried to take us on on the room for not uh, uh, breaking an engagement for the Saab. And I just said, well, you were never going to ride him in the Saab if you were going to ride him in the Melbourne Cup. So, and then so we put Chris Bunce on, on the understanding that if he, he qualified for the Cup, that he'd ride him. Um, the, the one of um, gays that had won the Metrop had been disappointing in the Geelong Cup and she ran the McKinnon and when it went so well on the McKinnon we knew then that we were in a bit of trouble and it was sort of my decision to put Kieran on um, Paul actually wanted to bring Ma- uh, Michael Walker across but he hadn't seen Kieran ride since um, he'd been put out and he changed his whole style so I, I talked him around and um, we put Kieran on and then again that sort of Really set him alight. So, um, yeah, it's still, still, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We're probably going to have to ask you before we let you go, Mike, if you've had any dreams about tomorrow so we can have a winner. But it, there's lot sounds like there's lots of sliding doors moments, and you've probably had a lot of horses where you, you thought, well, this is the horse that's got me to this stage. Can you point to one or two, maybe outside brew, that, you know, without that horse's efforts, you probably wouldn't be getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, I think um, definitely um, excellent, happy to know it. Uh, and of course over here, horses like Tefane, Eddie and Perno. Um, and, and a good old tough horse called Serrera um, that won two crew ones. And he was he was just an old, great old tough horse. But um, certainly, I tell you, one of, the, one of the, my big, greatest memories um, of winning a race in New Zealand was the great little steeplechase with Cumberland down when I won that. Um, that was a one, to me, I think the second... Biggest thrill I've had in racing, besides winning the Melbourne Cup, would have been winning the Great Northern Steel Chase at a pretty young age. So, you know, those sort of races are, you end up with those lovely old horses that you train, that are with you for a while, and you're a bit of longevity, and you get to sort of know them a bit better than what you know most of them. So, um, that certainly was a big highlight, too. 
Rockin' Horse, uh, sad to say, uh, sad to see that uh, leading, uh, leaving the racing side of things, uh, Mike. But uh, across to uh, the breeding barn and well matched. Oh, certainly. Um, look, I think they've definitely made the right decision. She can't do any more. She's won two Group Ones. She's been Group One placed twice as well. And um, you know she'll be remembered for being a really um, top class sprinter. She beat um, what was touted as the world's best um, nature strip. So and and beat um, um, you know the other um, other good horse that won the um, the race in Sydney, uh, the Everest as well, Giga Kick. So she sort of beat both of those two. Um, fair and square too, at, 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 and not well off in the weights. It was way for age. Um, so, look, she hasn't got anything to prove now, and at her age, it's the best thing. And I think we were only going to get one more run into her. The problem we've got over here at the moment is we'd like to have in New Zealand, it's just the weather. And we've just had a very, very unusually wet uh, sort of period here, and we didn't want a chance anymore. I just said to Sam, we're far better off. We're going to have to put her on a float and travel her back to, for the Goodwood or fly to, to Queensland. And I think it was safer that we, uh, you know, we're going to get one, one or two more runs in. Far better off just getting retired, and um, he agreed. I know that was always going to be be a call as well. They were pretty keen to do the same, and uh, I think Prassy is a, a great cross with her. It really is. Um, he's, he's sort of doing a super job. Oh, is he? Well, and you know, you, you mentioned the Kiwi breeds, half your group ones, obviously Tefane as well. These these mares, they've just done such a job for you, and um, you've got a decent enough team in tomorrow, Mike. I'd say you've got Suck Nerve Not Verve, which has done a little bit of travelling. Um, over recent times, she's up in Queensland and in the market, whitish gate, but, you know, it looks like a, yeah. a winnable race for someone of, of her stature. Yeah, I, I think if she can, if she can get, get forward and, and get across, um, I think she'll be pretty hard to beat. Um, she's up there, she's actually going, there'll be a last run for me, um, she's going through the sale rate, um, the Magic Millions, but I'm, I'm hoping that whoever buys her leaves her with me to have for a tilt of the Brisbane Cup, because um, I just sort of, just probably... Bugging it up a little bit myself, um, going to the Sydney Cup. He, she had had a pretty tough run in the Auckland Cup, and then she won the, uh, well, she should have won the Chairman's. Um, Dean Holland actually rode her, and, and he ended up losing a stick. Um, up they turned for home, and it cost her winning. And then in the, in the Sydney Cup, she probably raced a bit on tired legs. Um, but she had a bit of a fresh in there, in the, in the paddock for 10 days, and had this run. Uh, and then hopefully, though, I'll. I'll Whoever buys will send it back to me and have a crack at the, the uh, Brisbane Cup. Mike Moroni, uh, fantastic to catch up with you again. Congratulations on um, your uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. Thoroughly, thoroughly warranted. And to hear some of those stories of days gone by and the, the story about Brew, absolutely uh, fascinating. Uh, good luck tomorrow and good luck with uh, what's coming up uh, um, in the next uh, few years, Mike. I, I know you've still got so much to offer the game. So thank you for your time. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you. My, my, my pleasure and thanks for having me on. Cheers. So Mike Moroni there, folks. Um, he's got uh, six in tomorrow that I counted up as well. He's got uh, Toronto Terrier, Buffalo River, Swords Drawn and Milford in at Flemington and yes, Nerve Not Verve and Untethered. Uh, that would be a good race for a Kiwi to win. It's the Rough Habit Plate up there at uh, Doombin. Uh, 10.17 here on SCNZ, and we shall be having a panel next. Looking forward to that uh, because we've got Lavina Good and Tom Bartlett on deck this morning.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The opinions, the panel. Right, this morning, I'm pleased to say we welcome back uh, Lavina Good. I think we welcome her back to the country as well. And uh, Tom Bartlett is uh, on deck as well. Uh, first of all, uh, Lavina, I understand you've uh, had a little sojourn uh, across the ditch. Uh, but I would imagine you've uh, been watching a lot of uh, fantastic NRL action. And that continues uh, tonight with the Warriors against the Dogs, Lavina. Yeah, I've been enjoying the NRL. It's one of those competitions that even if your team isn't playing well, then you can still appreciate the sport. Um, and there was plenty of go- going on in Sydney, so that was good. And I-, I think now a lot of the response from the Sydney journos has been the Warriors have lost three in a row. And, and the reports back here in New Zealand is to keep the faith and the culture's great and Webster's doing a tremendous job, but how many losses until the fans start to turn. So I think this is a, a real pivotal point, actually, Smitty and Tom, for for the Warriors. Um, you know, they've, they've got injuries and, and they can complain about them as much as what they want to do. But when you think about it, the Dogs pushed the Raiders last week and nearly won that one. Um, and the Warriors cannot afford to lose four in a row because that will look really, really bad on paper. There's no Jackson, no Tamayadeh Martin for the Warriors either. But I'm pretty excited about the halves matchup between Sean Johnson and Burton. So expect the bombs to go up and take half an hour to swivel and come back down again. But uh, I'm hoping Wade Eden might be able to find some form, similar to what the Melbourne Storm did last night with Harry Grant. Like he, he's basically, I would say, the best hooker in the competition at the moment. And the Warriors really need Wade Egan not just to be a distributor, but also to start really confusing the defence as to which way the ball's going to go and who's it going to go to. So we need Wade Egan to step up for the Warriors if they are going to win a couple of points. The Warriors have beaten five times they've played them. They'll have to stop Reed Marnie from his 40-20s, which he's become an expert at. And I'm hoping they can come through with the goods and, and start cementing that top eight position once again. Good morning to you, uh, Tom. And uh, yes, it's effectively a four-point night tonight because they, they get the bye next week, which is a guaranteed two points. But sorely needed. That would take them back in the eight. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Uh, good morning, Lavina. Yeah, look, I think um, it's interesting, this one, isn't it? Yeah, the, the bye comes at, a, at the end of quite a stretch, and it's probably not quite, uh, well, it's definitely not quite what Andrew Webster and the Warriors were, were hoping to head into the bye on the back of sort of three, possibly four uh, defeats. But I think there's been enough. I mean, I know that, um, they, you know, you get the points for the bye, and, and that's all well and good, but there's been enough to think, even if they don't get the the chocolates tonight, that they're doing enough to kind of suggest that they are going to be a, a top eight team. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and make a prediction about where in the eight they're finishing. I think at the moment, based on the clubs that we're watching and the competition, it's a really close competition. And the Warriors are right there or thereabouts. Yes, they've lost at three, three in a row, but um, I am keeping the faith. <laughs> uh, Smithy, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not panicking at all. I mean, they've beat, lost to Melbourne in a game that traditionally Melbourne's, you know, just owned them. Then they had to, um, you know, come back and, and try and overcome a really good Roosters team in the rain. Then the Panthers, you know, the, the two-time premiers, it's sort of, uh, talk about a tough run. And now they've got the Bulldogs. I, I suspect we're going to see a, a different type of game tonight. I hope we're going to see a different type of game. 
um, but win or lose. So they're going to the bye thinking, well, the first sort of 10, you know, eight or nine rounds of the comp, they haven't been the worst start to the season and they are doing enough. So I'm holding on to the face, Smithy. Good on you. <laughs> Uh, speak, speaking of uh, Smithies, uh, how about this one, uh, Lavina? Wayne Bennett is being chastised um, in the media for referring to uh, Valence Tefore uh, as Val Smith in the camp because uh, the, of the surname. Uh, hasn't gone down too well um, in today's society, shall we say. Yeah, I watched that interview. I was appalled, actually, by Wayne uh, Bennett's comments. And hats off, uh, Wayne Tua, I think, to Dana Johansson, who has addressed that. It was a really interesting article, and I think it, it needs to be addressed. Over the past decade, I think the NRL commentators have done a really poor job of pronunciating names correctly. And if there's one thing we should be doing as commentators, Smitty, is making sure that we get people's names correct in terms of their pronunciation and showing respect to people's names as well. Um, I really do believe Glenn Lama, who's the New Zealand-based commentator for the Warriors, uh, does tremendously well to get those pronunciations correct, and I take my hat off to him. And then you've got someone like Andrew Voss, who can hardly pronounce half of the New Zealand Warriors' names. And for the first decade of the competition, I think they called Manuvatuvai, Manuvatuvai, and in getting his name incorrectly as well. So I think it needs to be addressed, and I, I do see it as a, a blatant statement. I guess not of racism, but disrespect to, to players and their names. So the least he could do is get his players' names uh, correct. And also the commentators really need to focus heavily on some other names. And no one's saying Tamaya De Martin. They're all saying Tamaya Martin, and it's just a show of disrespect. So we've moved on from that way, and I think there's only one way of saying a name correctly, and that is to pronounce it correctly, and it should be done by the coaches and the commentators. So yeah, well done Donna Johansson for addressing that. I'm proud of her. Okay, right, uh, Tom, let's uh, pop across to Super Rugby action this weekend. Uh, and it's the Blues, the Crusaders, uh, as I think the match of the round, it's uh, fair to say. Does uh, this prospect excite you in the Super Rugby in general? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this one does. Uh, there's a few uh, matchups this weekend uh, that don't. <laughs> I can tell you that much for free. Uh, but this one definitely does. I've had it circled for a few weeks. So I thought that the way the, the season was panning out, um, you know, that the, Cru- the Crusaders were going to have to go down and play, you know, play the Chiefs ahead of this game. And it was going to be a bit of an acid test. The Blues haven't been that sort of dominant force of, of last year. And they're both sitting sort of, sort of mid mid in the eight, if you like, sort of in the four five position and um, if you're going to make a play uh, in terms of climbing up those that, that those spots then this is the time to do it. I think the Blues have, have got their work cut out. Um, they were obviously a bit scratchy and struggled against Moana Pacifica uh, last last weekend uh, and the Crusaders are back at home and um, and you know starting to build you, you like to think into something that at this time of the year this is where the gears go up for them so I think it's an enticing matchup I think the Blues uh, have a lot to play for uh, and as to the Crusaders when, you, when you're thinking about at this stage and it does appear at this stage that they're all playing for second on the ladder uh, with the Chiefs you know building a fairly commanding lead at the top so uh, where you land in that top four in terms of the home quarter home semi uh, this could be a, a decisive factor in that so I'm really looking forward to this one uh, Smithy, but there's a few games this weekend I'll probably give a miss. Okay, uh, and it's uh, coming up to 10.30. Uh, we'll get the Levina's opinion on uh, Super Rugby um, after the break. We've got to go to the news with Araha, and then we'll be back for part two of the panel. Levina Good and Tom Bartlett, our guests this morning. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
13 minutes away from 11 and Smithy, I've just noticed here on the text machine, double eight, double three, love hearing from you. Uh, we've got a couple of great ones here, but Rory's come through with an interesting text. It's up to the players, isn't it? This is around um, our Valence Tafade discussion. If they care about commentators saying their name correctly, if the players have an issue with it, a quiet word to commentators isn't hard to do, but they're there to play, not worry about if they're saying their name properly. Well, Rory, I would suggest that of a man of Wayne Bennett's stature who's just won his whatever hundredth NRL game to a NRL rookie who literally said he can call me what he likes, there is a power imbalance that probably would be as big as any power imbalance anywhere. And I would suggest it would take a young man with a significant amount of self-belief and mana to stand up to someone like Wayne Bennett. So I just don't think it's that easy. And you're not even talking about coaches. You're talking about commentators. I just don't think this is a simple mispronunciation. I actually think this is a bit cynical from Wayne uh, Bennett, and I probably don't think he understands how impactful it might be, and somebody should point that out to him, and I don't think it has to be the player. Anyway, let's crack on. It's 12 away from 11. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And I'd love to get yours on that as well, Smithy, maybe um, just after we knock some racing on the head, because tomorrow you're right. We are at Rotorua and New Plymouth, and I don't know if you heard Tony Kemp on one of our stations over in Australia, Smithy, but he has declared one, a dead set moral. He's actually gone out, and Brian, what's he said? I heard your boys talking about what is the bet of the year. I've got one for you, Gareth. Yes, Kathy. Right? And it's racing here on a heavy, it'll be a heavy track, um, but the bully coming out of this stable is bullish, to say the least, and the horse is called Carbon, it's called, I think, I think I'm trying to pronounce it right, Carbon Adas. It is C-A-R-B-O-N-A-D-O-S, Carbon Adas. Yes. And it is trained by my good mate, Alan Sherrick. It's a two-year-old. It's a first start. Apparently going really, really well down there. Racing in his hometown on his home track. And I think that gets up first starter Saturday in the two-year-old race uh, at New Plymouth. Race two, number one. Carbonados declared. Can you believe that? Can you believe that, Smithy? No, I can't believe it from Kempe, and I can. I know he's got that great relationship with uh, Al Sharrock down there. So uh, that is it's an interesting one. To, half of Australia will be on that now, so uh, we won't get be getting the price, I would imagine, uh, Louis. But you're, you're right. There is uh, racing, as you say, at uh, Rotorua and uh, New Plymouth, and it will be heavy wherever. Yes, yeah, it's been wet, so I've abandoned uh, Marama today. It's just, it's too wet, uh, too wet to even race today. I- I'm with another Al Sharrock runner. I'm not saying that one can't win at all. By the sounds of that, you just get more on responsibly. That's only two bucks. But I'm heading to the feature of the weekend, the Rotorua ITM Stakes at Group 3 level. And go back and watch Sumi last start. Parked wide the trip and just fought on so gamely. I know Alan's got a bit of time for this mare. She will get black type, he says. And I think in this wet track where his horses tend to excel, she's won on soft and heavy before, never on a good track. With Michael McNabb on, our man, I think at $3.80, $1.70, you're still getting a price you can have a bet on there. Smithy? Okay, uh, absolutely fantastic, Louis. So we'll uh, we'll look at that. Of course, more racing to come uh, at uh, quarter to twelve when uh, we'll have a little catch up between Louis, uh, of course, and uh, Michael Guerin because they've got a busy weekend or busy morning t- tomorrow, and they'll be talking track conditions, trainers, uh, possibilities as well. And 
I would imagine some scratchings too will come into play. It is uh, 10.51 as we speak here now, uh, and when we come back, we must catch up uh, with the TAB, and uh, hopefully Pip Morris this morning will give us uh, some tasty little odds to think about. So 10.56 here, and uh, the mouth waters with uh, betting options in terms of sport this weekend. It really does with all the classic matchups that we're seeing. Uh, also, uh, we've got Greyhounds today at uh, Whanganui and Whanganui Extra and uh, Addington a little later. Um, and Pitt Morris joins us uh, as uh, often as the case here on Fridays uh, before a very busy weekend of uh, sport and plenty of options to be in uh, too, Pitt. Good morning to you and you mentioned the Greyhounds down there at Addington of course it's the dual group one night with the harness action with the size there for the harness and of course for the Greyhounds we've got the New Zealand Oaks to look forward to Jane and Dave Fahey to the fore in that race I think with a power Linda she's your favourite out wide in box number 8 there'll be power plays available on each and every race there as well so do make sure you check out those markets. As far as the sport goes Smithy I can tell you the Chiefs are by far the best back in their match 100% of the heat the head money is on them at a dollar oh five. Uh, the thirteen or more option for them is the team and margin at a dollar twenty seven, the most popular. And any winger power play jersey number eleven or fourteen to score a try in the first half at a dollar eighty five has been popular uh, on the CD and draw game. They're taking eighty five percent of the money head to head at a dollar ninety five. One to twelve is their most popular winning option at three dollars and ten cents, and one to twelve at two twenty five. And of course, if you do back your team to win with the winning team in margin but you get the incorrect margin and they win, we'll give you a bonus back up to $50 with the TAB As far as the racing side goes Smithy, of course we've got the two features out of Rotorua for the Gallops on Saturday can tell you in the Rotorua Cup uh, Farsight followed by Enchanted Owl I should say and the Follies and Mares has been well back there $500 on Sumi at $4 and also Leaderboard's been well backed of course in the Rotor World Cup as well after taking out the Wellington Cup there so there's plenty of racing and sport to look forward to this weekend Well Pip you have a great weekend I know you'll be heavily involved in uh, presenting it uh, particularly on trackside as well so have a terrific weekend and thanks again for all your um, all your input there uh, throughout the week uh, interesting, uh, a lot of texts coming in uh, through um, uh, this uh, pronunciation thing that uh, we raised during the panel, actually, uh, um, and it was uh, very interesting. Uh, hi, hi, Wayne Bennett should learn to pronounce names properly. I'd hate to see his reaction if someone pronounced his name wrong. Uh, that is from uh, Neville. Um, and uh, one from Stephen Holden, too, which you should read out about Mike Moroni. Stood, uh, stood next to Mike uh, at the, the ARC's Members' Lounge when his Penny Gem won. The Captain Cook Stakes back in uh, 2003 struck up a conversation. Spent the evening chatting. Great guy, no airs, no graces, a man's man. Yep, that is uh, Mike Moroni to a T. Beautifully summed up, Stephen. Uh, right after the break, uh, we shall be talking to uh, Blake Ashford, of course, a uh, former warrior, but also a former West Tiger as well. Uh, he's uh, sitting alongside Sam Hewitt tonight on the call. Warriors against the Bulldogs. Blake next. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Well, it's time to get stuck into some rugby league, of course, because the Warriors are in action tonight. It's uh, eight o'clock, eight o'clock against uh, the Bulldogs, and they're playing at uh, Core Stadium. Now then, uh, they have work to do as well because they want to avoid sliding down the, the ladder any further to a position where they probably won't feel uh, they're represented well by the effort in the season to date. But that's the nature of this NRL season, uh, which uh, oozes parity and talent across the teams, which is making for one of the most exciting seasons to date. It's the Bulldogs who stand in front of the Warriors. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll be here that here on SENZ uh, tonight at 8 o'clock, as I said. And it will be called by Sam Hewitt and our guest coming into the show right now, uh, Blake Ashford, of course, Blake, 174. First grade games, 50 for the Warriors, and over 100 as well for the West Tigers. And, uh, Louis, I think uh, you've got um, a question for for Blake off, off the bat. Yeah, actually, morning, Blake. How are you doing? Oh, good, Louis, mate. I'm, I'm doing quite well. The sun's shining down in the bay, mate, so it's uh, always a good time. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. We can talk some racing later. No, it's just Smithy and me were just chatting, and we we, we have, the, I mean, look, we, we've all got opinions on it. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Wayne Bennett situation up there with um, uh, in, at the Dolphins camp, Val Smith, Valence Tefade, and I just, you, you'd have a, a good opinion on this probably, or a, a better understanding, because you obviously lived in the NRL and made a living, and you've been around these different players and different coaches, but I also know you are quite culturally aware. Um this sort of thing, replacing someone's name, Tafade with Smith, is that insulting? And, and I guess what I was wondering from a former player's perspective is there's nothing the player can do. He's not going to go and correct Wayne Bennett, is he? He's kind of been put in a bit of a terrible position where you just kind of got to wear it, which probably wouldn't make you feel that good. Yeah, no, I was, well, it depends. You know, he's young. He might not understand the, the power of his name, I guess. Um, you know, when you're in that system, it, it's sort of just all laughing, oh, you know, bit of joking here and there so I don't think Wayne means anything by it and I would hope if Valance had a problem you know like you said it's tough to go up to Wayne but Wayne's that sort of coach that I think you can go up and approach him about a thing like that so I believe it's just all fun and games but then again like you know there are some sensitive situations out there um that you know we've been accustomed to over the last five to ten years but I think once he knows the value of his name, Valance, uh, I think he will go up to Wayne and have a little chat to him. But, yeah, I think at the moment it's all fun and games in that sense. But uh, it was funny to see Brandon Smith also get, uh, I think, Garibaldi Hargraves called him uh, Valance Smith as well, but a reference to Brandon Smith, sort of like the player, same build, same brick. So, <laughs> yeah, look, it's a touchy subject, mate, but uh, it is what it is. Blake, you're going to uh, be sitting alongside uh, uh, Sam Hewitt tonight, uh, commentating here on SCNZ in a game which is, I think, a little bit crucial now because you talk about this uh, NRL competition this season, but you also talk about momentum, and the Warriors are in danger of losing that regardless of the effort because they're sliding down to a position which is probably not deserving of how they've played this year. No, you're 100% right. Look, um, you go back to some of the, oh, the games that they've lost that they probably could have won but then again we say that every year the, the competition this year looks so tight I know we sort of say this every year but for some reason this year even you know my Tigers they're only just uh, you know at the spoon level at the moment they're still in with the chance of the top eight but the Warriors look they, they do need this game I believe and it's going to be a massive boost if they can get this win uh, away from home without you know some of the some of the players like Jazz Tavanga and the likes 
Um, I, I think this is a huge game, and I, and I think they will get it done. They're, they're strengthening the forward pack, and they're coming up against a Bulldog side who I don't think have really found their identity yet. I think they're still in a bit of struggle street, the Bulldogs, and a team that I, I don't think will, will find it this year. So I think it's a must-win. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to say must-win. I think it's a, a winnable game that we should come away for two points with. Okay, so what's just been lacking a wee bit? I mean, it's, we give them A-plus for effort this season every time they turn up, but what has been the lacking uh, in these uh, last uh, three losses for you? Oh, I know you'd want me to say the referee, wouldn't you? That's actually just the critics talking. Um, now, nah, look, mate, I, I mean, I, I put it down to a bit of injuries. Um, we, we, we are blooding some young kids. Tohu was a massive in last week, and I think we took the Panthers right to the wire. What I, I didn't see when everyone was getting excited at the start, I didn't think we'd played anyone to sort of be really happy about the season yet. Like, yes, we had some good wins, but the Cowboys aren't the Cowboys we knew of last year. Now, when they played the Storm, and they've played Penrith, they've gotten close in those games. Just those, I think the, the moments that matter, we've just been lacking, and it'll be one or two moments in a game. Um, it's hard to put it down to one thing, but I do love the move of Walker back to 14 and definitely with Tohu back at 13. I think the, the punch is going to start coming the next couple of weeks when we get Mitch Barnett, Jazz Tavanga back, and I think we're going to have a forward pack that we can really, really depend on and probably chuck the season on their backs. I believe their, their go forward and Shawnee's kicking game is what's going to win the games. Right, let's look at um, a position that which, uh, you're very familiar with. And uh, tonight uh, we see our first appearance for Rocco Berry with Adam Pompey in the centres. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't been around the traps of the Warriors. I thought Vilemi Vilea has been doing well. I see he's named on the extender bench. Um, I thought that's the way they would have went. But, you know, trust in Webby. He's been doing good this year. Um Look, it's, it's definitely an area I think we... Well, we do have Roger coming back next year, so that's a massive plus. But for this game, it's, it's going to be huge because Avarillo's been in big form. He's been in try-scoring form, actually, a couple of doubles the past two weeks. So um, they're going to have a big job on him. And I think they're still young and still learning, but I think it's... You know, we can't keep saying that forever. I think now they've got to show up and really deliver. Defence is the key for me. Don't worry about the tackle the forwards and things do that. You finish off their good work, I think the fence is the key, stopping the Bulldogs. And the combination tonight, uh, of course, Dylan Walker going back onto the bench to start the game, which brings young Ronald Volkman under the spotlight again. First time they used him, uh, didn't quite go so well, that combo, and uh, it looked like he was just a little bit short of that level. What about now? Well, he's been sent back to the New South Wales Cup, obviously, with a lot of work-ons. Um, like I said, I already love the move of Walker back to 14 because he brings that extra punch through the middle with a bit of pace. I, I think he'll do good. He just needs to simplify his game, which I think Webby and Shawnee, Stacey there, one of the best halfbacks to ever play the game, you know, he's there to help him um, and guide him through these situations. I think if you just focus on, once again, key word, defence, I think, tonight, because a lot of their ball playing over the last couple of weeks, the success we've had has been through the middle and Tohu and Adam Fanor Blake. So, look, if they just play a simple game, the halves, I know Shawnee will do majority of the kicking. 
And he'll have a simple job tonight, Ronald, and uh, just hope he gets it done. For his sake, I think he will. He's a good young kid with a, a lot of talent, and hopefully this is one of the games that he can stay up there. I do also know that uh, Luke Metcalf's back in Premier League wearing the number seven, so there would be a bit of pressure too for him to perform. Yeah, good point, actually. Metcalf had such a, an impressive start to the season in the pre-seasons, and then, of course, he copped that injury. Uh, Blake, uh, the doggies' dangers, where, where, do they, where do they lie? Well, it, it's all around Burton. And I sort of feel sorry for Matt Burton at the moment because the task he's had to do, he, he's sort of doing everything for them. Um, they don't really have so much of a game plan. It's more off the cuff and... They love Tavita Pangai offloads, their middle forwards offloading. Um, if you look back at their last couple of games, there's not so much um, things that they would have trained for where they've scored tries. It's more off a Burton kick or you know, an offload where they've scored the try. So I think that's the first key. I've already mentioned defence. I think you need to wrap Tavita Pangai up and then just send everyone at Burton. Hopefully Josh Curran, Maratha Niakore, just all of Burton. I think tire him out because he's going to be the one touching it more than anyone, going to be doing all the kicking. Stop him. you go got a long way to winning the game. Edo Carr obviously still out, and it's a huge round as far as um, state of origin selections go. Last night, Blake, watching the Broncos storm, oh, just a fantastic game, and uh, nice to see the Broncos leave the state as well. But Reese Walsh, he nearly single-handedly Kept the Broncos in the game. I thought you'd be you'd be brave if you were Billy, and, and he knows a good fullback. You'd hope to say that he's not your mm. Queensland fullback, would you? I just think he his form is. I mean, he's a different player, and we can't expect him. You know, was never going to be. He was never going to be this player for the Warriors. I've said that before, but man, he was so good last night. He was, man. I, I totally agree with you. I think he's earned his uh, state of origin appearance, his jersey. Um, Caelan Bourne hasn't done anything but this is the thing with State of Origin that I sort of get annoyed with is they just pick the same players because they've been there and done the job we want to see the new talent we want to see how they react in these situations um, Reese Walsh when Adam Reynolds went off had to step up and boy did he what he was outstanding last night almost got him home for the win in Melbourne um, and look I, I think the Broncos should send a little thank you to the Warriors for developing him you know, he wouldn't have had that NRL experience if the Warriors didn't extend the branch out and say, come on over, we'll teach you all we know and then take it back to Brisbane. But, um, look, I, I think he's definitely got his Queensland jersey wrapped up uh, with that performance last night. I don't think it matters what Caelan Ponga does uh, Sunday afternoon. What have you made uh, this year of the Roosters, Blake? Uh, they were um, in action straight after the Warriors game tonight against... The Panthers, uh, the Roosters have had a, a bit of a question mark over them. Yeah, it sort of seems to me that they've got a bit too many stars and they don't know where to use them. I mean, um, you could say they're still trying to find their identity. You've had Sam Walker in there who's being dropped. You've got the world's best centre or the world's best fullback now playing 5-8 in Bowie Manu. You've got Tedesco who's been in and out of games. I've been very, um, and I, well, I had them to win the competition, actually, the uh, Roosters, so my pick's not looking too good at the moment. I think they just need to get back to the basics, and by saying that, I mean run the ball hard with their enforcers like Lindsay Collins, Wairere Hargraves, 
and just get down, play the ball, and just get Tedesco and Joey Manu free-flowing. Play football how they can be happy playing it instead of so structured. Um, they sort of sense like the Bulldogs as well, whereas Kiri's the one who's doing all the playmaking. So I really want them to get on the front foot and get Brandon Smith in the game as well. He's not traditional number nine. So, look, it's a, it's a below-average season so far for me, but the good thing is we're not even halfway yet. So... I think they'll pick it up and find some form and hopefully find that identity. Texter here says, Reese Walsh's rocks or diamonds, lads. Great on attack, but my God, he makes some errors. Yeah, I, I just think if you go back and watch last night, when Reynolds went out, as Blake said, he just stepped up, and he's probably going to do that more often than not as he matures. Hey, uh, Blake, before we let you crack on with your day, Giga kick in the Doombin 10,000, is he just too good at $1.70? He's too good, mate. I've had a little play already with Kovalika uh, in the race before into Giga Kick. I think that's, uh, that's you know, two favourites that I think are too good for their race. I think they get it done. Well, we'll just have to, Smithy, we'll just have to make sure we get Yonkers beat in the race before because J-Mac can't win two in a row, according <laughs> to Blake. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know, myths are, mo- are meant to be broken. <laughs> so, very good. So, you're in action tonight with uh, Sam Hewitt. What style of commentary are we going to get from Blake Ashford? Well, I like to usually bring out the rabbits, but uh, I don't think that'll be happening tonight <laughs> as Sammy will be the main caller. So I'll just sit back and hopefully uh, it looks like I know what I'm talking about. And uh, it goes all well and all smooth for Sammy, so he's not under too much pressure. Good on you, Blake. Uh, great chatting with you. Great with those insights and particularly looking at that uh, Warriors game tonight. Have a great call and uh, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, lads. Have a good day. Yeah, cheers. Same to you, Blake Ashford there, of course. And uh, uh, hopefully, of course, as uh, West Tigers will continue on and their, their winning streak as well because uh, they're up against uh, the Rabbitohs this weekend. Good luck on that. The Rabbitohs are seriously good-looking side. Uh, we'll be back uh, very shortly. We'll take a, a little look at uh, some more of your texts as well, some, some really interesting ones, particularly on this pronunciation debate. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, 11.22 here on SENZ. A couple of texts uh, have uh, come in regarding this pronunciation issue. Hi, Smithy, the nuances of the Australian vernacular has them over-elongate their vowels, so they almost sound sarcastic. Couple this with not uh, learning the Pacific or subcontinent ways of enunciating their vowel sounds, and it becomes cringy listening. And sometimes I think they literally take the piss out of some names. It's very kindergarten, little boys in the sandpit stuff. Uh, very interesting text, that. Um, I think it's a fair reflection. Um, and it's uh, also um, interesting to note that they have... Um, they do send in uh, audio tapes as well. Uh, they send um, in um, pronunciation sheets, um, particularly in New Zealand rugby, and it is a massive focus from Sky Television in the latter two to three years while I was broadcasting for them. Uh, the ICC also put um, a bit of pressure on you when it comes to teams like uh, Sri Lanka, um, Afghanistan. Uh, so it's, it's not as if uh, the uh, commentators... Uh, not uh, told to work on it, to be fair, I, I think is that. And uh, there's an interesting one here also here. Smithy Val Smith 
is a top New Zealand women's lawn bowler. And we're talking about um, this uh, Valence de Fare issue with uh, Wayne Bennett. Yes, Val Smith. I mean, Val Smith is an unbelievably good bowler. Has been over the years a two-time world champion, four-time Commonwealth game medalist. Has won so many medals at the Asia Pacific Bowls Championships. Val Smith is the only Val Smith, Wayne Bennett, when it comes to New Zealand sport. But it's time uh, to get uh, pop across to the sports desk and uh, Louis sits awaiting there for us. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Well, what's fresh? What's making waves? I've still not found my glasses. Uh, days, 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 approaching multiple days, nearly a week since entering the Mai Mai. So if anybody finds a mallard wearing a pair of black framed glasses, as Ian Smith said, send it my way and I'll try catch it with a net. No guns around this part of the world. Now, uh, I actually found it very interesting this morning, Ian Smith, hearing that... Brendan McCullum, former colleague of ours, now the head coach of the men's test cricket team for the ECB, England, of course. He joined his former colleagues, Izzy and Kempe, on The Breakfast Show, which you can go and catch up with at their podcast channels and the SENZ app. Uh, it's fantastic to hear Baz again. And he had a very interesting take on the situation with IPL contracts and the prospects, especially English players, actually taking full-year IPL contracts rather than their central contracts to their nation. And Baz, being a lateral thinker as he is, well, he had a great opinion around working with the players. Do you want your best players playing? It's not good enough to say, you know what, we're, they, if, if they don't want to play international cricket for us, then, then bugger them, you know. We'll move on and find someone different. Because as a spectator, you want to see the best players in the world representing their countries as well. So I think you've got to work with them, um, and that's and that's something which we'll be challenged with in the next sort of while. The thing from our point of view is how do we ensure that when they when that decision comes, they're thinking about how great a time they have representing uh, the England uh, Test side, how much fun they've had, how much uh, those experiences which they've um, which they've been able to get in an England shirt is so much um, is so great that they are prepared to continue to put the yards in, even though it might not be as financially viable as, as some of the other leagues. Mm. Now, how does that work, Smithy, in the in the long run? I don't know, but I, I hear what Baz is saying, and he obviously has an intimate relationship with those players and how the contracting works. Well, uh, he's got his skipper as a classic example. Ben Stokes, one of the highest-paid players in the IPL, although not playing a lot because he's uh, carrying a niggling injury, so... Uh, but uh, I, I think you just have to expect uh, that the land, landscape has changed. And Baz should know it. I mean, he was one of the, the uh, high-priced articles, uh, and I call them articles because they're assets, really. Uh, when it comes to uh, the IPL, he knows the full workings of the IPL. I mean, he's been a coach of the IPL. He plays in the IPL. He knows what it means to the players. So to all of a sudden enforce rules or to put pressure on um, timings and that sort of thing and workloads for your players... Uh, he knows fully uh, how that could backfire on him. So I, I think that's a fairly standard issue and it's one that we have to put up with in this country as well because uh, at least England can match the money. We can't. We simply can't.
Smithy, I'd love to hear you investigate into the future, maybe the rest of this year, what an ICC calendar looks like in a decade, then in two decades. I just, it, it really, it spins my head to think about where we're going to end up. It makes me seasick. Um, but if there's any man to wade into the details and get stuck in the duck pond weeds, it would be yourself. Hey, uh, elsewhere, he, he might be the most important player to have ever done it. Yes, Janalamu would have been 48 today. Uh, rest in peace. Seriously, Smithy. Uh, I mean, just professional rugby. I mean, it would it would exist, but you know, he's a he's a founding father, really, isn't he? He was um, a founding father as such. I mean, he he really. Um, I think globally, if if you look at world teams, you look at players and coaches, uh, and they pick their all time world 15s. There's one player in common, and most of them. And that is Jonah Lomu in the 11 jersey. Because every coach would have loved to have that kind of strike power and harness it and point it in the right direction. And every team would have liked to have that kind of finishing power as well. So you get universal praise for Jonah Lomu, uh, universal sympathy for the fact that he wasn't able to live a full life and perhaps um, cash in to the full on what a great asset he was for the game of rugby. He's... I mean, to hear, you know, that he would have been, what, 48 today, Louis? 48 so today? It is just a terrible, terrible, um, sad loss for, for his family, uh, first and foremost, of course, um, and for his close friends. But for the game itself, and uh, just to imagine the ambassadorial role he could have been doing at World Cups or around the globe uh, with that. And uh, let's also pay tribute to that magnificent piece of commentary. That is improvised commentary at its very best. You don't know how you're going to react. I mean, that is a man who's looking out the window, Keith Quinn, who was so good at this. He's looking out the window. He's looking on his monitor. He's trying to weigh in both views, and he's taking in this this piece of action as if he's a fan as well, as if he's a fan. That is just instinctive commentary at its very, very best. So... Quinny, I hope you're well. I hope you're uh, listening. That is as good as it gets in terms of um, commentating on the spot and and reflecting on the spot. Best in the business when it comes to that kind of moment. It is 11.30 here on SENZ. It is not uh, Stump Smithy time. It's Stump Louie time. So, Louie, to welcome Louie back, uh, uh, you're up against Louie today. Uh, you're up for a $50 bonus bet from the TAB. Our number's uh, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Uh, the lines will start to light up. Uh, Brian's in control of that. Um, and uh, Brian will also be in control of the questions as well. So big morning for Brian, big morning for Louis, and a big morning for one of our callers. It's 11.30. Is uh, the news with Aroha. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Oh, what a morning it's been. It's been pretty damn busy here between the three of us at SENZ. But now it is time for that time of the morning where we try and give you some some money courtesy of a TAB bonus bet. It is time for Stump Smithy. And uh, Smithy, you've gone all right this week. You've had a couple of good ones, a couple of uh, shockers. Well, uh, probably more shockers from my end, three sixes back over my head type stuff. Uh, how are you feeling for today's challenge? 
I am not going to take part, actually. That's how I'm feeling about it. I'm going I'm to chuck the baton over to Louis. Uh, you've got an advantage whoever's calling in because Louis can't see uh, at this point, so yeah. he can't Google. Yeah. Uh, he can't. He can't do anything. So yeah, he's he's actually so defenseless. Um, yeah, he's 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 quizzing blind here uh, to put a, um, inverted commas on it. So uh, I think Brian, it's important to know what kind of caliber of contestant we're up against. Who have we got first for Louis? So first up uh, to the crease, we have Damon from Palmy. Come in, Damon. Hey guys, how are you? Yeah, Damon, meet Louie. Hi, Damon. Damon from P Naughty. We have met before, um, actually. Uh, Damon, he's a, he's a big racing man. That's correct. I didn't see you in the footage with Luke and the boys over at Churchill Downs. <laughs> no, no, I missed the invite to the Kentucky Derby. It was a bit out of my price range, actually. Anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, okay, so uh, you've played this game before, Damon, you know the rules. Three categories, your three categories to choose from are basketball, football, or rugby? I'll try rugby. Oh, here we go. All right, Louis uh, enjoys his rugby too, so we'll like to see how this one goes. Okay, so first question. Auckland v Canterbury is one of New Zealand's oldest rivalries, no matter the activity, and Super Rugby is no exception. In 1996, the Crusaders suffered a 49-18 loss to the Blues in their worst season ever. Who was the Crusaders' captain in that inaugural season? Oh, cheapest. Um... Would it be Todd Blackadder? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Great shout, but no, no, it's through to the keeper. Uh, Now, I really should know this one. What do I feel like? Mm. Is it Lowy? Is it Richard Lowy? That's a couple of chips down the wicket. He catches it, he takes a clean stumping and Damon, sorry mate, but it's back to the pavilion. Well done. Sorry, Louis. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Damon. I just I had this thing in the back of my I think he's Crusader number one. So I was thinking do you probably make your captain Crusader number one, wouldn't you? Definitely. And and Smithy, you were all over there, right? No, it wasn't. I was thinking Jock Hobbs, so there you go. I would have been toast. Damon would have been still in, and that's why we got Louis doing it. So, Just curiously, uh, would, you have been, would you have been calling that game? What year was it? 1996, the opening of Super Rugby. Were you doing rugby then? You were, no, weren't you? No, I wasn't. Ah. No, I wasn't. I didn't start to about 99, 98, 99. Okay, uh, okay so where are, we, where are we going next, uh, Brian? So now we're going to John from Christchurch. So this will get interesting. Come in, John. Yeah, fellas, how you doing today? Yeah, all ready to rip in, mate. I'll tell you what, we'll start with the second question. 1996, the inaugural season of Super Rugby. Who was the captain of the Blues in 1996? Oh, let's go. I'm going to be maybe Sean Fitzpatrick or... No, it would be him. Oh, yeah, I'll go for the... You go, Sean Fitzpatrick? Yep. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, and it's through to the keeper. 
Now that is very tough because I would have said Sean Fitzpatrick as well. Um, mm. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Adrian Cashmore scored plenty of points. Oh, good play. Yeah, but I don't think he would have been captaining, would he? He would have been a big forward. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just do not know. I'll say Adrian Cashmore. One of the worst things mm, I have mm. ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> you breathe again, John Smithy. Put them out of their misery, please. Zinzan? No. Zinny. Zinny. Of course it was Zinny. Bro- and I think he was followed by his brother, wasn't he? I think his brother took over once he once, once he finished. <laughs> Right, yeah, Zinny, Zinzan Brock, okay. Uh, right, so uh, it's uh, the Canterbury final here. It's uh, John and Louis and uh, Brian question. And the final question, um, I want two two names. Who were the Blues and Crusaders' first head coaches in 1996? Oh, I'll go Robbie Dean and maybe Morris Trapp. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Through to the keeper. Um, well, it wasn't Robbie Deans. It was not Steve Hansen. I think it was Wayne Smith. And I flat out would not know who the... I don't know. I don't know who the blue seeker... Wow. I mean, I'll just take a stab. I mean, uh, so it's Graham Henry. <laughs> One of the worst things oh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> you were right. You, you were right with Sir Graham Henry, but you messed up with your own boys. Uh, Smithy, do you curiously do you know the answer to that question? Uh, I'm going to take a, a real stab here because I was going to say Vance Stewart. Yeah, and you would have uh, had uh, three three out of three stumping. Oh, wow. Vance Stewart. There you go, Vance, Vance Stewart. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Uh, okay, so, uh, John, um, because uh, you were wrong, you, because you were wrong, you won. And that is the nature of this competition. Oh, oh, best game in the world. I know you can be wrong. We're a giving show. Louis can't believe it. Uh, he didn't, he didn't feel as if he got beat. He, he feels like the Black Caps in... Uh, 2019. It feels as if he didn't lose the game, but he did. Well done, I definitely didn't win it. I definitely didn't win it. So, yeah, fair enough. So, John, you stay on the line and we'll confirm we've got your details. All the best with that fitty from the TAB over the weekend. Have a great uh, two or three days, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, okay, John's the winner this morning. And speaking of winners, we might get one or two coming up uh, with uh, Michael Guerin. Um, and uh, he'll be with Louis and myself in uh, a few minutes' time.